Welcome to JFK and the Enduring Secret. I'm your host, Jeff Crudell. Everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is episode 201. I mean, it's a continuation of our little mini-series on the actions, on the excitement, on the little party that went on at the cellar the night of November 21st in Fort Worth. Or perhaps I should say, on the morning of November 22nd, the day of the president's assassination. We began this little wander in episode 200. I hope you enjoyed that. But now we're getting down into some more of the details. You know, sadly, in the aftermath of the tragedy, one can understand why James Rowley treated the agents the way he did, not placing any blame on them, despite their dereliction of duty that day. Yet it still seems wrong to have given them a pass, a complete pass, especially in light of the real underlying problems with some of those men and their performance that day. As mentioned earlier, it would be reporter Drew Pearson's published story about that night, published just three days after the assassination, that would light the fuse. So much so that a significant internal investigation was launched soon after. And, as you know, I like to start with the evidence, gather closest to the scene of the crime. So in this case, the first thing we're going to examine is that internal investigation report prepared by Secret Service investigator McCann. Keep in mind what I said early on in the prior episode about the different narratives surrounding the story that night. This one you are about to hear is distinctly pro-Secret Service agent. Would you be surprised by that? Coming from an inspector within the Treasury Department itself? I'm not. And especially in light of the circumstances and all the considerations facing everyone in the aftermath. So let's settle in and listen to the report. The report itself was done promptly. It was dated December 5th, 1963. It was printed on official stationery, United States Government Memorandum, addressed to just Chief from Inspector Gerard B. McCann and Special Agent in Charge Sorrells. Dallas. Yes, it was a report co-authored, so to speak. And the subject, the conduct of special agents in Fort Worth, Texas, as alleged in newspaper column of Drew Pearson on Monday, December 2nd, 1963. Here it is, and I am going to read it to you now. This report is submitted to cover an investigation made at Fort Worth, Texas, by Inspector Gerard B. McCann, Washington, D.C., and Special Agent in Charge, Forrest V. Sorrells of the Dallas office. This investigation was predicated on remarks made by news commentator Drew Pearson over radio station WTOP, CBS, on Saturday, November 30th. 
to the effect that the night before the incident in Dallas, Texas, six Secret Service agents spent the night drinking until 3 o'clock a.m. at the press club of Fort Worth. But several of the agents later went on to a beatnik joint called The Cellar. A similar remark was also made by Pearson in his syndicated newspaper column on December 1st, 1963, with the additional statement that one of them was reported to have been inebriated. On Sunday, December 1st, 1963, in company with Special Agent in Charge Sorrells, interviewed at Kirkwood and R.J. Dick Mackey at the home of Mr. Kirkwood, 220 Cortez Road, Fort Worth, Texas. Pat Kirkwood is the proprietor of the nightclub called the Cellar Coffee House, located at 10th and Main Streets in Fort Worth, Texas. Mr. Mackey acts as manager of this club at times and is employed also by the B.C. Remedy Company. He resides at 5317 Purington, number one, Fort Worth, Texas. We then interviewed both Kirkwood and Mackey. They spoke in complimentary terms to all members of the White House party. Mackey stated that he was working in the capacity as manager on the night of November 21st and during the morning hours of November 22nd. This club operates from 6 o'clock p.m. to approximately 5 or 6 a.m. in the morning, depending on the condition of business. He stated that he had a telephone call shortly after the presidential party arrived in Fort Worth from a member of the press. This person told him that the various members of the party desired to come down to the cellar, i.e. the White House press, the White House staff, and some Secret Service personnel. He stated that as the club is usually busy about this time, he, that is Mackey, made necessary accommodations for use when and if they arrived. He stated that during the night, up until at least 4.30 or 5 o'clock a.m., numerous White House guests arrived and left. As each arrived, they were brought over to Mr. Mackey, introduced only as a member of the White House party or press. He then escorted them to tables. Mr. Mackey stated that no one entering was intoxicated or disorderly, that he could not differentiate whether a person was a press member, a White House staff guest, or agent of the Secret Service. He stated that if there were Secret Service agents in the room, they certainly were not intoxicated, as each person was introduced to him as they entered. He advised that all guests left his club in the same condition as they entered, as they served no alcoholic drinks, the only refreshments being coffee, Coke, and various fruit drink concoctions, bearing unique names, some with an imitation rum flavoring. On December 2, 1963, Mr. Calvin Sutton, Sunday editor and assistant managing editor of the Morning Star-Telegram, Fort Worth, Texas, was personally interviewed. Mr. Sutton is also president of the Press Club of Fort Worth. Mr. Sutton advised that he was aware of the remarks made by Drew Pearson and was very much disturbed as to their uncomplimentary reference to the Secret Service, as he felt they were grossly inaccurate. In his article, Drew Pearson stated that the press club was supposed to close at 10 o'clock p.m. This is not correct, as the press club has a closing curfew 
of 12 o'clock midnight. In a statement, Mr. Sutton admitted that he kept the press club open several hours after the curfew, but felt obligated as a good host to extend his courtesy to the visiting White House press and staff. He stated that he felt all would have had a long and hard day, and he thought they would welcome a bit of refreshment. No alcoholic beverages were available outside of state liquor stores, in compliance with state liquor laws, with the exception of private clubs. Mr. Sutton advised that this entire matter originated on or about Wednesday, November 27, 1963, when he received a long-distance phone call from Drew Pearson. Pearson advised him at that time that he, Pearson, had been told by White House reporters that several Secret Service agents were at his press club party on November 22, 1963, and one of them could have been inebriated. Mr. Sutton told Drew Pearson at that time that this information was erroneous, that none of the individuals he thought might be Secret Service agents were inebriated. Further, that he would be unable to identify specific individuals at the press club as being Secret Service agents, White House press, or White House staff. During the interview, Mr. Sutton stated the only person he was told was a Secret Service agent was one Andrew Berger. Shortly after midnight, November 21st, 1963, Special Agent Berger, accompanied by another person about his same age, entered the press club and approached Mr. Sutton. He told Mr. Sutton that he was with the White House party and asked if he would be able to have a personal check cashed. Not having the cash on hand, $189.40, Mr. Sutton took the check to the Texas Hotel cashier and had it cashed, returning to the press club. He turned the proceeds over to the person known as Andrew Berger. Mr. Sutton was interested in verifying that the check was good. And as he did not want to embarrass this person for identification before cashing it, he made inquiry later through another person and was told that the person presenting the check was a member of the Secret Service, as well as the person accompanying him. These two persons had a drink or two at the club, remained for a short period, and then left the press club. A preview of the records indicate that Special Agent Berger had worked the 4 o'clock p.m. to 12 o'clock midnight shift, which shift was on duty until approximately 11.50 p.m. at the Texas Hotel, that he and his shift were relieved of duty at approximately 11.50 p.m. November 21, 1963, by the midnight shift, and he was not scheduled for further duty with his shift until approximately 12 noon. November 22, 1963, at the Trademark in Dallas, Texas, at which time he would report for duty prior to the arrival of the presidential party. Mr. Sutton went on to state that about 2 o'clock a.m., November 22, 1963, he ordered the bar at the press club closed as guests were leaving and no others were entering. About this time, a party of about four persons arrived later identified as Secret Service agents. Mr. Sutton requested the bartender to serve them one drink, after which the bar was again closed, and they left. During the interview with Mr. Sutton, he stated that he has been a newspaper 
man for many years and that he has attended many parties such as the above. But at no time did he see any person who was identified to him as a member of the Secret Service who was intoxicated, disorderly, or ill-mannered. Further, that as a citizen of the United States and knowing the responsibility of Secret Service agents, there was no activity on the part of any Secret Service agent at the press club which would have interfered with their performance on protection duties. Mr. Sutton stated that at no time did he know of any agent who had had more than one or two drinks. He stated that he felt it very unfair for anyone to infer by innuendo or any other means that the vicious attack on the president at Dallas could be charged to the dereliction of duty on the part of any member of the Secret Service. On December 2nd, 1963, I interviewed Miss Barbara F. Richardson, reporter at the Star-Telegram in Fort Worth, Texas. She stated that while covering the president's arrival in Fort Worth, Texas on November 21st, 1963, she had occasion to talk to several of the Secret Service agents assigned to the airport pursuant to their protection duties pertaining to security limitations of the press covering the president's arrival. She was later introduced to several of these agents at the press club party. She stated that at no time did she see any person known to her as Secret Service agents who were intoxicated or conducting themselves in any other manner other than a gentlemanly manner. She further stated that, to her knowledge, none of those she met ordered any alcoholic drink as she paid no attention to what any person ordered. On December 2nd, 1963, Mr. Phil J. Record, police reporter and part-time Night City editor for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, was personally interviewed. He advised that he could not identify any specific person he saw at the press club as being a member of the Secret Service or White House Press, unless he had been so introduced. The only Secret Service agent known personally to him was Special Agent Duncan, who made the advance arrangements and was in town about one week prior to the arrival of the president. He stated that Special Agent Duncan was not at the press club on November 22, 1963. Mr. Record did say that during his short stay at the press club, he had occasion to be introduced to several persons as Secret Service agents and that none so introduced could be, in any manner, classed as drinkers. Mr. Record stated that all persons acted in a congenial manner and in full control of their faculties. Only one person he met indicated any sign of having been drinking. This party introduced himself to Mr. Record as a member of the White House staff. He was wearing a round, red, white, identification lapel button, unlike the bar-type badge that he had been told was being worn for identification by Secret Service personnel. He stated that this person, although he showed some indication of drinking, could not be classed as intoxicated. Mr. Record stated that, in his opinion, no one in the entire White House party was intoxicated, but that some slight qualification might be made as it concerned the man with the round, red-white lapel button. 
On December 2nd, 1963, Chief Cato Hightower and Deputy Chief R.R. Howarder were personally interviewed. Chief Hightower expressed surprise at any derogatory remarks made relative to the Secret Service. He expressed his highest regard for our special agents and was most complimentary of the advanced security arrangements made at Fort Worth by Special Agent Duncan and for the arduous work required by the agent. He was quite familiar with the minute details made by the Secret Service preparatory to the president's visit and stated that, based on his knowledge of the security survey made, he would question the motive of anyone who spoke disparagingly about the Secret Service with relation to the security of the president. On December 2nd, 1963, Mr. Liston W. Slack, manager, Hotel Texas, was personally interviewed. He praised in a complimentary manner the work performed by Special Agent Duncan pertaining to security arrangements made at his hotel. Mr. Slack stated that he was more than surprised to learn the details required in making such security arrangements. He described Special Agent Duncan as a most dedicated special agent and that he was a person of high repute and that his demeanor was most mannerly. He stated that he would not question his sobriety that in his official relations with Agent Duncan, for a period of the one week prior to the president's visit, he had, on several occasions at the day's end, invited Agent Duncan to be his guest for a drink. But on each occasion, he graciously declined. Mr. Slack also spoke in a complimentary manner concerning the entire Secret Service party, who remained at his hotel during the visit of the president. He stated that the entire group conducted themselves as gentlemen at all times. On December 4, 1963, Special Agent James M. Howard, assigned to the Dallas, Texas office and who assisted in the advance arrangements at Fort Worth, Texas, advised that he was on duty at the Texas Hotel from the time the president arrived until 4 o'clock a.m. on November 22, 1963, that he was representing the Dallas office and had occasion to meet and to talk to many of the special agents accompanying the president from Washington in the lobby, at the president's suite, and in the agents' rooms. He stated that at no time did he ever see any special agent of his service in an intoxicated condition, that he himself was not at the press club. This special agent's remarks are worthy of comment, as it is known that he does not drink intoxicants of any kind, and it is believed that any remarks by him would be unbiased. In summary, the facts disclosed the following. One, that no one was interviewed at Fort Worth who was in a position to know would make any statement to indicate that any Secret Service agent was intoxicated or acted in any other than a proper manner. Two, that the only person whose sobriety was questioned was a person who represented himself to be a member of the White House staff, and that this person was wearing a round red-white lapel identification button, unlike the bar type worn by Secret Service agents. Three, that Andrew Berger, the only Secret Service agent whose identity became known, was off-duty when at the press club and that he was not scheduled for further duty until approximately 12 o'clock noon, November 22, 1963, 
at the Trademark in Dallas. Four, the press club remained open from 12 o'clock midnight until 3 o'clock a.m., November 22, 1963. Five, that the Cellar Coffee House is the only place outside of the Texas Hotel, which is open after midnight, that serves coffee. That this same cellar serves no alcoholic beverages. Six, an inquiry of White House detail personnel disclosed that nine special agents were in the press club at various times, the latest leaving by 1.45 a.m. The amount of beer or liquor consumed did not exceed more than one or two drinks or an equivalent amount of beer. Seven, only nine members of off-duty shifts were in attendance at various time intervals at the press club. Only three of the 8 a.m. to 4 o'clock p.m. shift were in the press club. They advise they had but two glasses of beer and left at 1.45 a.m. for the Cellar Coffee House, where they had some coffee. Eight. Inquiry also indicated that during the night, 10 Secret Service agents had occasion to drop in at the coffee house for coffee or fruit drinks. No alcoholic beverages dispensed. The inquiry failed to establish that any special agent of the Secret Service was inebriated, as reported in the attached news item. Signed, Gerard B. McCann, Inspector, and Forrest V. Sorrells, Special Agent in Charge, Dallas. Now let's move to one of the attachments to that report from Arthur Godfrey. I, Arthur Godfrey, shift leader of the 12 midnight to 8 a.m. section on duty at the Texas Hotel, Fort Worth, Texas, on November 22, 1963, do attest to the following. The Special Agents Gerald S. Plain, Kenneth S. Giannulles, Paul A. Burns, Gerald W. O'Rourke, and Robert Faison were all on duty at the Texas Hotel on the above date. This section reported for duty at 10 o'clock p.m. at the hotel entrance, the hotel lobby, and the president's suite. Upon the president's arrival, this section moved to the president's floor to secure it for the remainder of this section's tour of duty. During the night, some of the above agents went from the president's floor for coffee during their relief periods. This section was alert throughout their tour of duty and had nothing stronger than coffee to drink. Signed, Arthur L. Godfrey, Assistant to the Special Agent in Charge, White House Detail, April 29, 1964. Roy Kellerman would also make a statement, further attesting to the physical condition of Special Agents William Greer, Sam Kinney, William Duncan, Ned Hall, and David Grant, saying that they were not intoxicated. They were in full control of their physical and mental capabilities and able to conduct their assignments properly and effectively. Emery Roberts would also make a similar statement. He was an assistant to the special agent in charge, and as you know, he was the controversial quarterback in the follow-up car who ordered the agents not to move forward as the shots began to ring out. He would hereby attest to the fact that he observed all of the above-named special agents, including Clint Hill, Paul Landis, Bill McIntyre, Glenn Bennett, Don Lawton, John Reddy, all of them. 
He would attest that he observed all of the above-named special agents before they went on duty and while on duty on November 22, 1963, that none of them showed any indication whatsoever that they had been drinking any intoxicating beverages. Each of the special agents assigned to his shift reported on or before the time allotted for their reporting and that there was no question in his mind as to their physical and mental capacity to function effectively in their assigned duties. Well, there you have it. He said it, so apparently it's true. He also attested that he went directly to his room upon arriving at the Texas Hotel at 11.50 p.m. So he was not in a position to observe any of the actions of those agents that night. There were other attestations to Stuart Stout, Rufus Youngblood, and others. And there was even one by Glenn Bennett, who actually was out that night. Here's what Glenn Bennett said. After being on duty for 16 hours on 11-21-63, I arrived with that sec Emory Roberts shift at the Texas Hotel, Fort Worth, Texas, about 12 o'clock midnight. I went to my room and I started to prepare for bed. About 12.10 a.m., Special Agent Donald Lawton telephoned my room and asked if I would like to go for a sandwich and a beer, that the agents and press had been invited to the Fort Worth Press Club. I asked my roommate, Tim McIntyre, if he cared to go. He declined. I met Special Agent Lawton in the lobby of the hotel and proceeded to the Fort Worth Press Club, located about three blocks from the hotel. I arrived at the press club about 12.30 a.m. and joined agents at a table. The waitress was asked if they were serving any food. She answered in the negative. I then ordered a beer. I had two beers, thanked the hostess for the club's hospitality, and departed about 1.30 a.m. I was in the company of two agents upon departing the press club. We then decided to go to a place called The Cellar, reputed by the manager at the press club to be a coffee house with guitar, music, entertainment, no drinks. I arrived at The Cellar at approximately 1.40 a.m. and had two grapefruit drinks. I departed The Cellar at approximately 3 o'clock a.m and went directly to the hotel. As a reminder, Glenn Bennett was in the follow-up car. There was a similar statement made by Andrew Berger. He would go on to say at approximately 12 o'clock midnight, after being told that there would be a buffet at the Fort Worth Press Club, my walk to that location. I arrived at this club at about 12.20 a.m. I consumed exactly two bottles of beer while at this club. I then parted this club at approximately 1.20 a.m. and proceeded to a so-called coffee shop called The Cellar. I arrived there at approximately 1.40 a.m. While at this location, I consumed one beverage, which was grapefruit juice. I departed this establishment at about 2.15 a.m., went directly to the Texas Hotel, and retired at approximately 2.30 a.m., Kind of interesting that they all liked grapefruit juice. Gerald Blaine, the principal author of the Kennedy Detail, the book that the Consortium of Secret Service Agents wrote, also made a statement. He said, before my tour of duty started, I had stopped by the press club for about a few minutes. This was prior to 11 o'clock on the 21st of November. 
At 5 o'clock to 5.10 a.m., I was at the Cellar Inn for a coffee break, but had no beverage at all, coffee or otherwise. Special Agent Paul Burns would make a statement as well, indicating that during his stay at the Cellar Door, nothing was purchased or drank, including coffee, which was found to be 60 cents a cup. And during his stay in Fort Worth, he did not visit the press club nor the Blackstone Hotel. David Grant was also a member of the Secret Service who visited both the press club and the cellar club. In his statement, he would say he entered the Dallas Press Club at approximately 1.15 a.m. to 1.30 a.m. and that he had one drink. It was a scotch and soda. And then he departed the Dallas Press Club at approximately 1.45 a.m., entering the cellar club about 2 o'clock a.m. At the cellar club, he had nothing to drink. He departed the cellar club at approximately 2.45 a.m. to 3 o'clock a.m. Clint Hill also made a statement, and you might be more interested in this one than some of the others. He took his time leaving the Texas Hotel, departing between 1.15 a.m. and 1.30 a.m., heading over to the press club, arriving about five minutes after his departure from the Texas Hotel. While he was at the press club, he would say he consumed one glass of scotch and water, and he purchased two packages of cigarettes. He departed the press club at approximately 1.45 a.m. and then went over to the cellar, arriving there at approximately 1.50 a.m. While he was at the cellar, he was served a beverage, which he could best describe as grapefruit juice and soda. It was called a salty dick. He was quick to note that he did not drink the entire drink. Clint Hill would depart the cellar at approximately 2.45 a.m. and return to his room at the Texas Hotel. Special Agent Dick Johnson also went to the press club. He arrived at the press club about 12.10 a.m., had two beers, and left at 12.45 a.m. That was it for him. He went back to the Texas Hotel and went to bed shortly thereafter. Now for one that you may be even more interested in, the statement of Special Agent Paul Landis. Well, he too went, as you know, arriving at the press club at approximately 1.15 a.m., where he had one scotch and soda. And then he departed the press club at approximately 1.45 a.m. He arrived at the cellar at approximately 2 o'clock a.m., where he had two drinks, which he believes were also called Salty Dick. He departed the cellar at approximately 5 o'clock a.m. Agent Don Lawton, one of those that was waved off at Love Field, also left the Texas Hotel shortly after midnight at about 12.20 a.m., and he went to the Blackstone Hotel, where the press club is located, arriving at about 12.30. Lawton had three glasses of beer. He left the press club at about 1.15 a.m. and went to the cellar, arriving there about 1.30 a.m. While at the cellar, he had two glasses of what he could best describe as grapefruit juice. Imagine that. He left the cellar approximately 3 o'clock a.m. and he returned to the Texas Hotel. Special Agent Olson would also go to the press club. He and several other Secret Service agents walked to the press club 
and they arrived there about 12.15 a.m. There was nothing to eat at the press club, but he too would consume about one and a half mixed drinks. At about one o'clock, he departed the press club alone, and he walked back to the Texas hotel, where he went directly to bed. He would be clear that he did not see any Secret Service agent in an intoxicated condition. Gerald O'Rourke was one of those working the midnight shift, or actually from 10 o'clock p.m. the night before until 8 o'clock a.m. the next morning. He was on a post at the Texas Hotel. He was relieved from his post. He doesn't say who. We now know it was perhaps a fireman. And he took coffee break at approximately 4.30 a.m., November 22, 1963. He was directed, he says, by officers of the Fort Worth Police Department to the Cellar Cafe. This cafe is located approximately one block from the Texas Hotel. However, due to the high prices in the Cellar Cafe, I did not eat or drink anything. I was in the Cellar Cafe for about 15 minutes, and at approximately 5 o'clock a.m., I once again assumed my post at the Texas Hotel. Agent John Reddy, the agent that was perhaps the closest on the right front running board of the follow-up car, the closest man to the president, also submitted a statement. He would get to the Fort Worth Press Club somewhere around 1230 or 12.35, expecting a buffet, but there were no sandwiches that were made available. So he, like others, had a drink. He had two cans of beer, and he left his club between the time of 1.15 and 1.30 a.m., he would go from there to the cellars at about 1.45 a.m. There, he would have two and partially consume a third fruit drink. He remained at the cellar until about 3.15 a.m. Then he departed and walked to the Texas Hotel. Phil Record, a part-time police reporter and part-time city editor on the night shift, made a statement try to set the record straight as to his knowledge of any activity on the part of the Secret Service agents while in Fort Worth, Texas. He was there that night. To begin with, of the persons I met and had contact with from the White House, I cannot make any statements that that any of them were agents of the Secret Service. I had met Agent Duncan at the press club about a week before November 22, 1963, and I secured a pass for him as he was to be here all week and we wanted to extend our invitations. I might say that Duncan was not at the club on the 21st or the 22nd of November. About 2.30 a.m. on November 22nd, 1963, I went to the press club. There I saw a man with another reporter, Barbara Richardson. I was later told that this man was a Secret Service agent. I could not say whether this person was or had been drinking and from his demeanor, did not affect me as one drunk. I visited with the White House press. Then I went by a table containing several men, identified by someone unknown as Secret Service agents. At the table also was one girl, dressed in red, and a reporter, Barbara Richardson. I believe Barbara said something about going to the cellar to make arrangements, meaning me, for a table, etc., This was about 3 a.m. About this same time, another fellow who had been at the table and was wearing a round red and white lapel badge 
Unlike the bar badge that I had been told was worn by Secret Service agents, masked for the men's room and told me after a brief conversation that I'm on the White House staff. About 3 a.m. or shortly thereafter, this man who said he was on the staff, Barbara Richardson, Bob Schaefer, a reporter, the other men at the table, about four in number, and the woman in the red dress with myself got on the elevator and left. Schaefer and I got off on the second floor to eat at the coffee shop, and the others continued on to the cellar. Shortly after 4 a.m., Schaefer and I went to the cellar and saw there the man who said he was on the staff. And Barbara Richardson, the man who I was told was a Secret Service agent, and several other people at the same table. I do not know if these other men were at the press club, nor whether they were Secret Service. Of the persons I met, I would not classify any as drunk. In fact, the entire group appeared to be definitely sober and mannerly at the cellar. I will say that the only person who showed any sign of drinking at all of the entire group was the man who identified himself as on the White House staff and wore the round red-white button. I cannot say that any Secret Service or staff member, as I knew them, was drunk, disorderly, or in any way obnoxious at the press club or the cellar. The only person I would question as to conducting his affairs the next day or then would be the fellow with a red and white round lapel button, identified as a White House staff member. I make the above remarks only to state, in my opinion, as to the activities as I saw them at the press club and the cellar. Signed, Phil J. Record. Witness by Gerard McCann, Inspector, U.S. Secret Service. And Forrest V. Sorrells, Special Agent in Charge, U.S. Secret Service. Barbara Richardson herself would also make a statement. And it was made on December 2nd, 1963 by Barbara Faye Richardson, a reporter for the Morning Star Telegram. would like to have the following statement relative to the conduct of any special agents of the Secret Service whom I met or had occasion to be introduced to on November 21st and 22nd while in Fort Worth. As a reporter, I attended the press club's reception for the Washington Press Corps, White House staff, or other invited persons. During the reception, I met many press personalities and several gentlemen who were Secret Service agents from Washington. I arrived at 1 o'clock a.m., November 22nd, after writing my story for the morning paper. Calvin Sutton, press club president, knowing I am single, introduced me to several of the persons there from Washington. I sat at the table with these persons and, through a very bad fault socially and for a reporter, can't identify many of them by name now, but their faces I remember. During the hour or so that I was there, I talked to several of the White House press corps, some of whom I already know, and Secret Service agents. I had two or possibly three drinks while I was there, but saw no one introduced to me as a Secret Service agent who was inebriated or near it. 
Later, I moved to another table to meet some late arrivals who were friends of the persons I had just met. One drink was served. After leaving the press club, the group went on to the Star-Telegram to buy a morning paper, which comes off the presses at 2 a.m., and then went to the cellar, a night spot that poses as a beatnik place. The only two persons whose names I can recall in the party were Malcolm Kilduff and Andrew Berger. No one was inebriated. Mr. Berger was drinking an orange drink, and I heard no one of the Secret Service order anything with alcohol content, either at the cellar or the press club. <laughs> That's kind of interesting that you could order something with alcoholic content at the cellar. That's what she just said. I personally believe that their activities that night and morning did not and could not have slowed or interfered with their effectiveness in their duties the following day. Signature on file, Barbara Richardson. Witnessed by Gerard McCann and Forrest V. Sorrells. Look, we could go on and on, but I'm going to finish it off because there are so many more with a statement by Calvin Sutton, who was the Sunday editor and assistant managing editor of the Morning Star Telegram in Fort Worth. He was also asked to give a statement. In addition to my regular employment, I also serve as president of the Press Club of Fort Worth. In conjunction with this duty, I called our bureau representative in Austin, Harley Pershing and Sam Kinch, on Thursday, November 21st, who were traveling with a presidential press party to Fort Worth. They requested that I furnish complimentary passes to the press club for the use of the White House party when they arrived in Fort Worth. I have been put on notice of the article appearing by Drew Pearson in the December 2nd morning papers in which he makes certain accusations as to the Secret Service and the Fort Worth Press Club, and I would like to set forth, to the best of my recollection, just what transpired. In order to clarify the statement made by Mr. Pearson that the press club was supposed to close at 10 o'clock p.m., I want to state that our club has a midnight curfew pursuant to state laws. Along this line, I also want to state that we realize, because of the importance of the party and the fact that they did not arrive until after 11 p.m., we might have stayed open longer than our curfew, but we felt obligated to remain open to serve a few drinks and to be congenial hosts. About midnight, November 21st, our club started to receive various persons from the presidential party, press, staff, etc. About this time, a person who was not introduced to me entered with another man, unknown to me, and stated that he was with the White House party and wondered if I could cash a check for him in the amount of $189.40, I took this check to the Texas hotel as I didn't have that much money on hand, and they cashed it for me. I returned and gave him the proceeds, at which time I noticed that he was joined by four other persons whom I did not know. After giving him the money, one of my associates indicated that these persons were probably Secret Service agents and that you could tell them by a lapel button. This party had a drink or two at the club, and, and no one of them could be classified as drunk or near drunk. In fact, they were emphatically not drunk. About 2 o'clock a.m., November 22nd, 
I ordered a shutoff by the bartender of all further drinks as guests were leaving, and there appeared to be no other guests arriving. Just about this time, four to six other persons entered, and a reporter friend of mine said this was another group from Secret Service. In this group were two ladies. Feeling that they had no time to be here earlier, I told the bartender to serve them one drink each, which was done, and the bar was closed. Of the entire group that I met, and I must say that the only person I could definitely identify was a Secret Service agent, was Mr. Berger, because of the check incident. I saw none drunk, or nearly drunk by any means. There was one person of the entire group who did appear to have had a drink or two before coming to the press club. But even he could not be construed to be inebriated. I say this because I talked to him, and he was certainly in full control of all of his faculties. During the course of time this reception was open, several of the persons indicated that they intended to go to the cellar, an all-night entertainment establishment bordering on the beatneck type in which nightclub serves only coffee and no alcoholic beverages. During the reception, I also had occasion to introduce one of my female reporters, Miss Barbara Richardson, to the various groups. As Barbara Richardson is single, I felt that she might be good company for visiting guests. Miss Richardson left the reception with one of these groups. I want to say this particularly, that I have been a reporter and newspaper man for many years. I have been involved in many parties held by the press and others, and I think I can safely say that I am in a good position to state whether one is drunk or sober or incapable of performing a duty. Based on this experience, I will say definitely that there was no one introduced to me or known to me as a Secret Service agent who did not conduct himself as a gentleman. And I also want to say that as a citizen and knowing the responsibility of these agents can state that no activity on the part of any Secret Service agent in the press club would interfere with their performance of duty in connection with their protection work. Also, that this vicious attack on the president could be in no way connected with the derelict of duty, as far as I can see, on the part of the Secret Service agents traveling with the president. On or about Wednesday, November 27th, I had a telephone call from a person identifying himself as Drew Pearson, the columnist. Mr. Pearson told me that he was advised by White House reporters who were at the press club reception that several Secret Service agents were at this party and that one of them could have been drunk. I told Mr. Pearson at this time that this was erroneous and that any person whom I believed were Secret Service agents were not drunk, nor nearly drunk, and I considered them in complete control of their faculties. Following this call, it may have been the next day, I called Mr. Kilduff on the phone in Washington at his home, and he not being in at the time, I left word with his wife to call me as soon as possible. Mr. Kilduff returned my call the following morning, at which time I told him of my call from Mr. Pearson, with a view of alerting him of this report. On Monday, December 2nd, a person identifying herself as Marion Ottenberg telephoned me at my house from Washington, D.C., and she made a reference to the article by Mr. Pearson 
and in her words, indicated that she was a bit upset concerning this article and that she felt a bit on the defensive. I told her that I did not think that this had anything to do with Mr. Kennedy getting killed and that I did not tip Pearson, but that I had talked to him. Signature on file, Calvin Sutton. Also witness by Gerald McCann and Forrest Sorrells. Were those drinks fake or not? Well, months later, on May 19, 1964, McCann would contact Mr. W.A. Phillips in charge of the Texas Liquor Control Board in Fort Worth, who stated it was permissible for patrons visiting nightclubs, restaurants, etc., to take their own liquor and drink it at these places up to 12.15 a.m. on weekdays and 1.15 a.m. on Sundays. Mr. Phillips stated that no liquor is served by the seller employees as this place does not have a license to sell intoxicating beverages. Mr. Phillips stated that the seller does sell imitation drinks, but that such drinks are not considered as alcoholic beverages because the alcoholic content is too low. Mr. Phillips states that he sends undercover investigators to the seller from time to time to obtain samples of mixed drinks sold by the seller, but that so far he has not found that these imitation mixed drinks contain even the minimum requirement of alcohol for them to be classed as alcoholic beverages. Mr. Phillips stated that they also checked this place to see if there are any minors who are drinking alcoholic beverages, but that they have not found any violations so far. On that same day, May 19, 1964, McCann would contact Pat Kirkwood, who's the owner of the cellar, who again stated that they did not sell any drinks containing alcohol, other than the alcohol which is contained in the flavoring used in mixing the imitation cocktails. He stated that customers are permitted to bring their own liquor and that they sell the setups to the customers. He stated that no customers are permitted to drink alcoholic beverages brought by themselves after 12.15 a.m. on weekdays and 1.15 a.m. on Sundays. That at 5 minutes to 12 each night, except Sunday mornings, which would be at 5 minutes to 1, that an announcement is made over the loudspeaker system that it is bottle time, which means that anyone having a bottle of liquor will have to take it to their cars or else check it at the cash register and pick it up when they leave the place. And that under no circumstances would he permit drinking of alcohol beverages after the curfew time. As to do so would mean that his place would be closed. He also stated that his employees are all instructed to keep a careful watch as to underage customers drinking liquor and that they do not permit them to do so in his establishment. He stated that the package stores close at 10 o'clock p.m. each night and that usually there is an announcement made about 9.30 p.m. or shortly thereafter that liquor stores close at 10 o'clock p.m and that anyone wanting to get a bottle should do so. 
Pat Kirkwood stated that he does not have any signs on the walls of his place regarding alcoholic beverages, as it is known that they are not permitted to sell alcohol. That they are not permitted to sell alcoholic beverages in his place of business. Well, one thing I have to say is that if they really were drinking, drinking a lot, an awful lot of people covered for them that night. And they certainly all covered for each other. But maybe not. Maybe they all had just a few drinks and that was it. There is a lot of urban legend around this party at the cellar. One storyteller tells us that there was Everclear that was imbibed in large quantities. For all of you with a teenager or teenagers, you might have heard that particular type of alcohol come up. It's very high proof. It doesn't take much in the way of a few shots to get somebody pretty inebriated in the wee hours. Obviously, that was never mentioned in any of these official reports. Did it happen? I really don't know. But obviously, a lot of people in high places had a lot of reasons to cover this one up. So it's easy to be a skeptic of what you hear. But what you hear is that they really didn't drink all that much. And you heard it from more than just the Secret Service agents. I wish each and every one of these witnesses could have had a videotaped deposition. Then perhaps we could have looked them right in the eye and judged whether they were telling the truth. One thing is for sure, there is certainly some discrepancies in timing. Did they all leave at three, or were many of them still there at four? Did they all agree on the time in which they left? Did they all agree on what they drank? Grapefruit juice? Who knows? I'm just saying. This is a tangled web, and neither you nor I, I think, will ever figure it out. I'd like to believe the agents. I'd like to believe that they really didn't drink all that much, but what they were really guilty of is staying out too late and nothing more. Whatever the answer is, each and every one of them had to live with the truth over the time that they had left. In the South, they have a saying, rattlesnakes don't commit suicide. None of these men were going to self-indict under the circumstances. And as we have already heard in previous episodes, there was a strong inclination by Chief Rowley to protect all of these men. So if you're being logical... There were probably a few facts that were left out here, even if much of it is right on. You know what I always say, the truth is often somewhere in the middle. I'll let all of you listening be the jury tonight on this one. Thank you for listening to episode 201 of JFK, The Enduring Secret. 